Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education Beatty Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.badycontest.org, B-A-D-I-E, contest.org, and keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Um... If you all can stay muted or extremely quiet, that would be good. And we'll do the presentation, and then um, we'll invite questions. I'm also going to give out some information uh, at the end. Well, I'll give it out several times. So if you have something to write with or record with, that might be helpful. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about emotional blackmail. And... Emotional blackmail is basically psychological abuse. Um, The original term was called emotional blackmail, and that was real common in 1990s, but um, now they've kind of changed it to psychological abuse. Um, Emotional blackmail can basically uh, happen in any type of a closer relationship. It is usually thought of between intimate partners. However, it can happen between coworkers. It can happen between um, leaders of an organization or leaders of a committee to other people in in the group or on the committee. It can happen between friends. Um, so it can happen between anybody that you have a reasonably close relationship with or that you have the expectation of having a close relationship. And it takes two people. There is always a person who we call the blackmailer um, or the abuser, whichever term you choose to use. And there's a victim. And people who are victims of uh, psychological abuse, emotional blackmail, they're definitely victims. Um, Emotional blackmail can often lead to other forms of abuse, especially sexual and sometimes physical, and it can also lead to uh, physical neglect. So, and um, so, it's really an important issue. It's important to recognize whether you are in that type of a relationship, and if so, are you the victim, and how you can extricate yourself from that relationship because it's unhealthy and it's probably not going to change a whole lot. Um, People who are emotional blackmailers have very difficult time um, changing. So, um, you know, they can. uh, They can certainly seek help. They can recognize that that's what they're doing and they can change, but they have a very difficult time changing. And so, um, it's probably not a good idea to remain in a relationship with the intent that the person is going to change um, unless you are seeing that they are making great efforts to change. So what is emotional blackmail? It's basically when an individual makes demands or threats of another person to get what they want. Um, it's a, um, The demands are often intended to control the victim's behavior uh, through unhealthy ways. Um, and emotional blackmailing is, is very usually, well, starts out very subtle, and it may be hard to recognize. Some people have a real difficult time even recognizing that they are being emotionally blackmailed um, because it is so subtle. And the reason it is is, is because, you know, that's, the way they get by with that. Um, Emotional blackmailers use fear or guilt to get what they want. So they'll do whatever they can to make you feel fearful or intimidated or guilty um, because that's how they manipulate the situation. Um, Usually the statements start with, 
if you don't do what I want, I will. And, you know, it can be anything. Um, or if you cared about me, you would do what I want. So it was, it's always something if, that they'll blame the person, the victim, um, and they'll put a, they'll, they'll use a sense of obligation. Well, if you really cared about me, or if you cared about this organization, you would, uh, something like that. Um, usually it's undeserved guilt or blame. Um, sometimes you may hear something like, well, I've worked so hard for this organization. The least you could do would be, <laughs> you can, you can fill that in. Um, so it's, it's something to try to put you down so that you will comply with what they want. Um, they can also take advantage of, of you, the victim's sense of responsibility, um, they might say, all I do is work for the family. The least you could do is clean up the house or, you know, whatever. Um, it exploits the victim's sense of guilt to create confusion and to get the victim to give in to the emotional demands. And that can be part of the difficulty because if somebody's exploiting you to try to make you feel guilty, you do start feeling guilty. Well, maybe I should have, you know, been more kind, or maybe I should have given in, or maybe I should have gotten the, the project completed. Um, so they'll, they'll say and do things to make you feel guilty so that you start questioning. Emotional blackmail is always based on fear, obligation, and guilt. And um, you can kind of remember fog, fear, obligation, and guilt. Um <clears throat> So uh, they often make their demands seem reasonable, and, and that can cause some of the um, confusion because the demands may be seemingly reasonable until you really think it through, that you know, it's, it's not my responsibility to make sure this person is happy. Um, the tactics are usually pretty covert, and they're difficult to spot, they try to make the person feel guilty. Um, they may even pathologize or, or make the victim seem as though they're crazy or, you know, um, just mixed up or sick in some way when the victim isn't. Sometimes they'll align someone else of influence to intimidate the victim. And we often see that in the workplace um, where you're having a difficult time with your your supervisor or another coworker, and so they'll call a meeting and they'll say, "It's just going to be me and you. We're gonna we're gonna sit down and, and and see if we can work this out." And when you get to the meeting, you discover that maybe you know one or two other people are in the room, and they haven't told you that it would be a meeting between you and three other people. Uh, be it your rehab counselor or, you know, their boss or somebody else, um, because you believe that you and that person were going to sit down and have the conversation. So, um, and, and we see that in organizations a lot. Um, when you have a difficulty or a conflict with maybe the leader or the committee chair, you know, instead of just keeping it between you and that committee chair, they may bring another person in and you weren't aware that that person was going to be involved because that is definitely intimidating. Um, so warning signs. This is how you can know if you're in one of these situations. If you find yourself as a victim constantly apologizing for things that aren't your fault, um, you know, such as, well, I'm really sorry you're having a bad day. Maybe there's something I can do to make it better. Um, or I'm really sorry that I made you angry. Um, you know, you're, you're constantly apologizing for their problem or their issues. And that's what they want you to do. Um, it is also when one person insists on their way or, or nothing, you know, it's kind of like, um, my way or the highway. And even at, at the expense of, of the victim, you know, they're not taking your needs into consideration. It can also be 
uh, a one-way street of, you know, you make all the sacrifices and, and comply, and, and it's constantly that way. Um, one person feels intimidated or threatened to obey or comply, and, and they can use that, um, you know, by threatening you. If you don't do this, I'll leave you, or if you don't do this, I'll uh, tell, you know, your friend what you told me about her. Um, it could be, you know, if you don't do what I want, um, you, you won't, uh, I, I won't fix dinner or, uh, I won't have sex with you, you know, things like that. Um, the victim may be inclined to apologize. They often plead, cry, um, change plans to meet the other person's need. Uh, they use logic or try to, or they give in. Um, and they find it difficult to stand up and address the issues. They find it difficult to set boundaries, and they find it difficult to communicate with the blackmailer. It is very, very difficult to communicate with these people. Um, they are manipulative, and it, it's very difficult to set your boundaries and communicate. And it takes a lot of practice in, you know, refusing to give in to that and um, standing up for your your rights and yourself. So there's four types of emotional blackmail. Um, the punisher, they operate with the need to get their way regardless of the needs of another person. It is their way or the highway, literally. You will do it their way or they'll find out some way that you will be punished or pay for, for it. Um, and that's the way they control people. Um, the self-punisher, these people will make threats of self-harm or suicide if the partner doesn't comply with what they want. If you leave me, I'll commit suicide. Or if you leave me, I'll cut myself. Or if you don't give me what I want, I'll, you'll be sorry. You know? So they will threaten literal self-harm or suicide. And sometimes they will actually follow through with it. Um, the sufferer, that's when the manipulator suggests that because you're not doing what they want you to do, they're suffering. Um, and, and it's your fault because you're, if you would do what they want you to do, then, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't suffer. Their life would be easier. And the most difficult one to spot is the tantalizer. And that's the promise of what would be better if you would comply. Um, and so the victim gets hopeful because, you know, uh, they could have a better life or a better relationship. Um, usually that goes some way, like, well, you know, we would get along better if you would. Um, or, well, think of all the things we could do if you would. Or, well, we'd have a better relationship if you. They'll fill it in, however. Um, usually, well, Emotional blackmail is always progressive. They they start out with subtle things that are more difficult to um, spot, and then and then it gets more. You know, they'll they'll make higher demands. Um, so the first thing that happens is the blackmailer makes a demand, um, something like, "You need to pay my rent, or I'll leave you," or um, "Let me move in with you." Or I'll tell your sister what you said about her, things like that. So they'll make a demand, and initially the victim resists. No, I can't afford to pay your rent. Um, you know, something like that. Well, you can tell my sister anything. I don't care. But then they start pressuring. And so then the victim begins to question themselves. They lose their healthy sense of perspective, and they become really confused. Well, you know, I really can't pay my, afford to pay my rent. I'm think of the money that we could save if we lived together. And, you know, the victim still doesn't want to live together, but they're thinking, oh, yeah, maybe we could. You know, we'd have more money to do such and such with. Or, well, if we lived together, we'd get along better because I would see you more often. And the victim's starting to think, well, maybe. Maybe we would get along, you know. Um, or, well... You know, I really care about you, and so we should live together so I can take care of you. And that may sound pretty good to hear until you realize that what they really want is to control you. Um, 
then if you continue to resist, they continue to threaten. And the threats become more, well, if, if I can't move in with you, then we're just going to break up. Or if, if you don't pay my rent, I'm going to be homeless and it'll be your fault. Yeah, things like that. And so then the victim complies. Um, so then after they do that, they'll be happy and, and things will go along pretty well until they want something else. And then you go through the same routine. And the more this goes on, the more intense it becomes and the more often it happens until the point where you're basically controlled by this, this person. So how do you how do you deal with that? Well, the first thing is to learn to recognize that you are being emotionally abused, emotionally, psychologically abused. Um, recognize that. And recognize that this is about an unhealthy person who is attempting to control and manipulate you. And then just determine whether they are doing this intentionally or whether there's a possibility that you could have a conversation with them and and they would change. Um, then be assertive. You know, I um, get the feeling that when you talk to me that way, you want such and such. Or, um, you know, then just be very assertive with them. Um, it's also important to set boundaries and let that person know, you know, I'm not going to accept that. It's, it's not my fault that you had a bad day. Um, I would like to hear about your, your bad day, but I'm not going to accept your angry outburst because you had a bad day. Um, if that doesn't work, then it, it may be important to get into some type of counseling if you want to save the relationship, or it may be time to think about ending the relationship um, and, and recognizing, even if they say, well, if you leave me, I'm going to commit suicide. And you can say, well, no, I really hope that you won't take that option um, or choice. But our relationship isn't working, and I'm leaving anyway. Um, and they, they may threaten, you know, harm to you or to your kids or to your dog or whoever. And that can be very, very serious. But at that point, it's really important to get help um, if, if they threaten to hurt you or the kids or, you know, go to a safe place so that they can't do that. Um, Traits of the blackmailer. Okay. These people tell you, basically, you're crazy and you should not question them. Um, they tell you that, that what you think is true isn't. Um, they will try to control what you do. They will usually try to isolate you from your family and friends because they don't want you talking to your family and friends. Um, because your family and friends may tell you that you're being you're being abused. Uh, they'll ignore your concerns. So anything you say is, you know, they'll, they'll just ignore that or they'll argue back about that and, and let, make it clear that what they need is more important than what you need. Uh, they avoid taking responsibility. They constantly blame other people or you for their behavior or anything that happens to them. Well, I only become angry because you make me angry. And it's important to realize we don't make anybody angry. Um, we don't make anybody feel happy or sad or anything. You know, it, it's a full-time job to control your own feelings. And you can't make anybody feel anything that they don't already feel. Um, they'll provide empty apologies. And basically, an empty apology is... Oh, I'm sorry, I, I hurt your feelings. And you know deep down in your, your heart and your soul that they're going to just do it again. And because they're not really, you know, intending to change, they use fear, obligation, guilt, and threat to get their way. Um, they are unwilling to compromise. You know, well, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm who I am. And, and if you don't like me, that's just, that's just too bad. I'm who I am. And so they won't compromise, or they won't listen for a compromise, and they won't ask for compromise. Um, they 
don't seem to be concerned about your needs because, frankly, they're not. They rationalize their unreasonable behaviors and requests. Um, well, I wouldn't have behaved that way if you had not have or whatever. Or um, it, it's just been a long day, so you know, it, it's not my fault that I that I yelled. Um, they will intimidate you until you do what they want. They'll blame you for something you didn't do, and then you you know feel like you have to earn their affection. And they typically accuse you of doing things that you don't do. And again, they may threaten harm to themselves. So victims get into these cycles because they feel unworthy, insecure, and unvalued. And they struggle with low self-esteem and they doubt their own needs or, you know, that they're even deserving. Um, These people are constantly people pleasers and approval seekers and they don't do they don't do well when they're not getting approval or they feel like they're not pleasing people because you know they they have a real need to do that um they have extreme compassion and empathy for other people they have a tendency to take blame they have a tendency to feel a lot of pity or empathy for other people they try to avoid conflicts. They have peacekeeping habits. You know, they, they want to always keep the peace. And they have a strong sense of responsibility and, and doing what's right. They often have a fear of abandonment. Uh, they have sensitivity or, you know, tend to personalize things. They may be very afraid of other people's anger. And they usually have self-doubt and low self-esteem. Um, It's really important if you're in one of these relationships to get help or to figure out how you can extricate yourself from the relationship as quickly as you can. Because being in these types of things not only may lead to other forms of abuse, but it will definitely take a toll on your own emotional well-being. And once you do that, then it will take a toll on your physical well-being because if we're not healthy emotionally, we become unhealthy physically. Um, it causes the victim to question their own sense of reality. It leads to negative and distorted thinking about themselves and their relationship. So, you know, you often end up being isolated and then you experience extreme loneliness and depression and anxiety. Um, The emotional blackmailer is a very, very insecure person, and their insecurities may not show in the surface. They may seem like the most confident, capable people ever, but deep inside, they're very insecure. And what you might see on the surface is anger and rage. You know, they might just be really quick to anger, Um, and you may not see the rest of it until later um they're not in touch with their feelings they're emotionally immature and um they hate to lose so they become angry when they lose um so some really good or a really good book is by and it's on board um she writes three of them and all three of them are on board and her name is susan forward F-O-R-W-A-R-D, and Donna Frazier, F-R-A-S-I-E-R. And the books have really long names, but the first one is Emotional Blackmail and the People in Your Life Use Fear, Obligation, and Guilt to Manipulate You. But if you just look up Susan Forward on Emotional Blackmail, you'll get it. The next book that she writes is Obsessive Love, and this is, you know, when you are involved in a relationship and they're just very obsessive about you, or maybe you're obsessive about that person. And the next book is Toxic Parenting, Overcoming the Hurtful Legacy and Reclaiming Your Life. And they're all three very good books. They were written in the 1990s, and I still recommend them to patients, you know, who are in this situation or these types of situations. We often 
the emotion of blackmail often starts out when we're children. And if you don't reverse it, you can either become an emotional blackmailer or you can become a victim of continued emotional blackmail. There's a really good article. Um, it's called Emotional Blackmail by Karen Shaw, S-H-A-W, and it's on positivepsychology.com. And then there's another one, 18 Plus Ways to Handle Emotional Blackmail. And that one's also by Karen Shaw, and it's on positivepsychology.com. So I know that this can be a really difficult subject. Um, additionally, you can read... When I write it up, you can read this article and a lot more at my um, at my blog, and that is Eagle Wings sixty three, E A G L E W I N G S sixty three dot blogspot dot com. So we're going to open it up for questions, and if you have any questions, you know, raise your hand, and then um, we'll go from there. No hands yet. Come on, people. we got a half hour. Okay. We do have a hand raised. Good. Go ahead. Beth, do you want to unmute? Yes, I'm unmuted. I'm you glad you on. have that book about toxic parenting because, the, yeah, that does sound like one of my relatives. She, she was like that with all of her daughters. And um, when they left home, I don't know. She, she was just real... Well, you don't care about me. You don't. Uh, you don't appreciate me. She ended up being a single mom, but she, you know what I mean. And and um, she would try and sabotage even her daughters or even her nieces and stuff that were involved with her daughters. You know, I mean, it was terrible. Yeah, it can be very very difficult to live with. You know, a parent who does the emotional blackmail thing, um, or a spouse. It's one thing to have a coworker that you have to deal with, but it's another thing to actually live with the person and and even be dependent on them. But those like in other words, are, if I was trying to help my niece, um, uh, she would call my doctor and say, "Oh, she's not taking her her medicine right," you know. And I don't know what she thought my doctor was supposed to do about it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure those books. You know, are- but just little weird tactics like that, or she'd go by your mailbox and and. Uh, she would take my niece's check and stuff like that, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow. And I had to follow up and tell her, you know, Auntie, and that is not happening because that is a federal offense. Yeah. And I don't want to have to report you. You mean you do that to me? Yes, I would, because you're driving by my house and taking, and, and I didn't like it. Well, then why do you have her living with you? Why not? Because she wants to get away from you, you know? I didn't tell her that, but you know what I mean? And, oh, she was just something else. It sounds like it. Well, those books are available on BART, and they're also available, I'm sure, on Amazon and, you know, different sources. But some of those people that grew up in that generation will never get that, never get counseling because I don't know if it was in the 50s and 60s that it was considered a stigma or what to get counseling, but... Uh, well, that's the thing. I do know people. You know, huh? a lot of people didn't get counseling, and they're not getting treatment yeah. now. Um, right. Yeah, those, those yeah. are difficult. Okay, do we okay. have other questions? Okay, yes. Next we have Sherry. Go ahead and unmute, please. Thank Hi, you, Jesse. This is Sherry from way back, your, your tape spawned friend, remember? <laughs> from Florida. Anyway, um, I, I, never get, I don't get to listen much to your shows because I, I usually am doing work, but it was on at a good time today. And, and I don't really, um, I don't really have a question, just a, a comment that this is like the story of my last relationship. And it was with, actually, it wasn't even a romantic one. It was with a friend in my condo complex who happens to be gay. And I thought, well, cool. We don't have to worry about strings attached and this will be nice. And we did a lot of fun things together, but as time went on, I saw more and more and more he was trying to you know, control my life because mm-hmm. he was sighted. I was blind and he always thought he knew best. And like I, he would call if I didn't answer the phone quickly, he'd say, why didn't you answer the phone? Or why didn't you? I'm like, I was busy. 
what were you doing? And it just started with things like that. And then he would tell me how different friendships of his had ended because somebody did something horrible to him. And finally, you know, it was never, ever his fault. So finally, um, he accused me of lying to him about something, which I hadn't lied about. And he just came unglued and sent me these really nasty text messages. And we haven't talked since. And it's been well over a year. I how just did you, How did you end the, that whole cycle? How did I what? I'm sorry. How did you end that whole relationship? He ended it. He basically said, well, I'm done with you. You're a horrible person and you've taken advantage of me and all this stuff that just wasn't true. And um, I said, well, if you want to talk this out, I'm I'm there. And then he left a Facebook message that said he had been he had watched a guy get hit by a car and I tried to kind of come in and say, I'm really sorry, you know, if you want to, because he told me everything. Like, I know all about his life and his personal stuff, but he just never talked to me again. Never. Not one single word or acknowledgement or anything. Wow. Um, it's like, okay, fine. I mean, because I just kind of figured it's his loss. I mean, I miss doing all the stuff we used to do that was fun. But it wasn't worth the other part. He, you know, he just did so much. And when you're going over all these details, it's like that's him. That's him. It's cra- crazy. Yes, so, it can be. And yeah. and it's wonderful to, to hear from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Okay. Next, we have Chris. Go ahead and unmute, please. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that you're you're um, talking about this subject. Because I think I've known a lot of blind people who actually have been that kind of worthless feeling, and they've they've been charmed by people. Uh, I I had my experiences with it. Are there any statistics on blind people um, and um, they're getting into relationships like that? And uh, is are, are there any records about that? Well, unfortunately, people with disabilities, they haven't actually broken it down, but they kind of include people with disabilities, um, Mm -hmm. are 50 to 80% more likely to be in psychological, sexual, or physical abusive relationships. Yeah, that's Uh, Yeah, a a significant portion of people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the the people who have reported it, so that's an estimate, and it could be even higher than that eighty oh, yeah. percent, which is pretty pretty significant because that means yeah. you know most of us either are or have been in those types of relationships, or we definitely know people who are or have been. Well, I'd like to also say that there is encouragement as far as that goes because. Um, I think that a lot of us, um, uh, we're more likely to have those problems if we aren't able to find a worthwhile occupation or at least worthwhile volunteer work or something, something that we do that that makes us more um, capable and really aware of our own capabilities. Absolutely. And and the other thing, when you consider how many of us are, at least to some level, dependent on other people, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and some people are very dependent on other people just, mm-hmm. just to survive. Right. And so other people can play some nasty, nasty games. Oh, very nasty. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're in a good right. position to do it. And we, unfortunately, are in a good position to be the recipient of, of their abuse and control. I am. And especially when we're younger and we're much more impressionable. And that's uh-huh. the hardest time. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mark, go ahead and unmute, please. Hello. Can you hear me? We can. Yeah. Hi, Trish. And yay, Sherry. And, and, uh, <laughs> Um, and um, Jesse, it's been a while. A um, couple of things. I had to go into the other room and take a phone call. What are the names of those books again, if you don't mind? Okay. Um, 
Let me open this thing back up. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Did you have another question? Um, yes, uh, actually comments. Okay, uh, go ahead with your comment, and I'll get your books. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> yeah, somebody I actually went out with uh, for a few years was um, the master manipulator in terms of, um, you know, her classic thing was, oh, if you cared about me, Mark, you'd do this. Mm-hmm. Um, or substituting reasonable talk for what she called brutal honesty. Um, you know, I have to be brutally honest about this. And there was one time when I actually said, you know, I'm feeling really angry. And she'd come out with, you're not in a position to be angry. Um, and the, her thing was to set up these crazy power struggles um, that, um, you know, um, it's like, why am I going out with this person anyway? But, but um, you know, but her child would get everything she wanted. Spoiled brat kid. Okay. Um, and... Um, Sometimes I felt like saying to her, you know, you've got a lot of relationship baggage. You know, you really aren't being aren't in a position to be in a relationship right now because you're quite manipulative. Um, the other thing is that to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesse, but that kind of manipulation is often the trademark or a trademark of a sociopath. Am I not right? It, uh, it's a trademark of what? Of a sociopath, yes. Yeah, it can be. Um, most emotional blackmailers are narcissistic mm. or borderline personality. Yeah, okay. Um, psychopaths are certainly emotionally blackmailed, but they will usually, uh, they'll quickly resort to physical or sexual uh, right. abuse uh-huh, yeah. um, more quickly than, well, narcissists can do that as well. Um, borderline personality, that is Oh, they are majorly emotionally blackmailers. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> if anybody has ever uh, met up with somebody with that disorder. Um, emotional blackmail is more common from women to women or women to men because women don't resort to physical or sexual abuse quite as much. They use more emotional blackmail. But it can also happen from from men to women or men to men mm-hmm. um, in, in those types of relationships. Okay, yeah. So your books. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan Forward, F-O-R-W-A-R-D. Uh-huh. And Donna Frazier, F-R-A-S-I-E-R. Okay, yeah. And so then emotional blackmail and the rest of it is, and the people in your life who use fear, obligation, guilt. To manipulate you. We use fog, yes. Okay, yep. Um, but if you look up Susan Forward on Bard or, you know, wherever, uh-huh. uh, and just look up emotional blackmail, you'll get that whole book. Okay, yeah. And then she also writes one about obsessive love. And these are the people who, you know, we sometimes get involved with and, and they can't let you go. Um, they're very jealous. Oh, yeah. And they also use emotional blackmail. And then the other one is toxic parenting, overcoming the hurtful legacy and reclaiming your life. And that's about people who uh, were raised by toxic parents, you know, okay. who yeah. used a lot of emotional blackmail. But they're very good books. Excellent. Thank you. And I would also echo, um, it was Chris or Beth, but um, that back in the 50s and 60s, no, the people who went to psychiatrists or to counselors we're often thought of as crazy, you know. Um, no, I'm not crazy. I don't need a psychiatrist or a counselor, you know. Fortunately, that has changed. Well, unfortunately, the history um, and the way the mental health behavior has changed over the last years, you know, initially it was real common for wealthy people to go to therapy. Okay. And they would spend a great deal of time with these psycho analyst right Back, yeah in, in the 50s and 60s the, the poor people didn't do that and for some reason it was accepted that wealthy people would would do this and it was kind of like a luxury spa for them but if a if a poorer person did that they were crazy and they mm. needed to be locked away and that type of thing okay. then we got to the point that anybody who went to a psychiatrist or a psychologist you know, they had to be crazy, right. and, and they had to be. There was something wrong with them, and the average person wanted to avoid those people. Now it's somewhat more acceptable. 
Um, and it's almost like people <laughs> have, have gotten to the point of if they have a mental illness, they, they like to talk about that. And it's almost like they like to, to kind of wear it as a badge or something. Oh, yeah, I've seen that too, yeah. <laughs> and I think their, their goal is to encourage other people to reach out and get help and, and realize, you know, it's okay. But the downside of it is mental health professionals are diagnosing just about everybody who walks in the office now. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and <laughs> so not everybody has an actual diagnosis. You may have problems, but that doesn't mean that you actually have a full-blown mental illness. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you. Okay. This is good. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. okay. Next, we have Kayla. Go ahead and unmute, please. Yes. Um, so I, I just have a really quick question here, and and if this is uh, if this is not okay, please let me know. But uh, during the pandemic, I know it's difficult for a lot of us to get to a regular um, health facility or doctor's office or what have you. Can you recommend any kind of telecounseling services? A lot of insurance companies now are paying for um, telecounseling and. So if you do have any kind of insurance, even Medicaid and Medicare in many places are paying for telecounseling. Um, so, you know, my first my first suggestion is always, if you have insurance, call your insurance provider and let them know. And also let them know that, you know, it's difficult for you to get there. Maybe you can't get there. Um, then there are a lot of crisis lines and, um, of course, you know, the suicide hotline, all those places can connect you with, with people as well. Um, if you are a member of a church, your minister may provide counseling or may know of people who can and do in the church. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate you're, it. You're welcome. Okay. Cheryl, go ahead and unmute, please. Hello. Thank you for um, what you're doing. And, um, I just wanted to make a note to share with you how my sister and I were talking just recently within the past few months. And, um, and she was talking about how she used to have dreams when she was a kid growing up. And, um, that, uh, and then even as an adult, that people in white coats were coming after her, were chasing her. And, and if I, you know, and I said, you know, she hadn't remembered that my mother always threatened um, me and I guess her too, that when we cried, we weren't allowed to cry. Like, you know, I was a very emotional kid. If I cried, they were coming to get me from Middletown and take me away. And in Middletown was the psych center. And, um, and, and so it was, uh, you know, that kind of, that, that, and she's definitely narcissistic. At least, thank you, God, there's a word for it now today. <laughs> wow. You know, but it was just something how my sister just didn't remember that. You know how we each child has different memories, but that was one of the things, you know, she would control us that way. If we, if we got out of line, they were coming to get us, you know, or she was going to split us up in separate homes and we wouldn't see each other ever again. <laughs> so, mm. uh, and I and I we lived through it. I'm okay today, thank you, God. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, a lot of old tapes there, right? So, thank you, Jesse. You know, You're welcome. There, there is healing. <laughs> thank you. Okay, five oh one. Go ahead and unmute, please. You're still muted. Go ahead and unmute, please. Um, if you, let's see. Hold on. Oh, okay. I don't know what was going on. I was pressing star six and star six, and it wouldn't work. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This is Teresa, and my father used to, um, I mean, it was his way or or no way, and you you know, you better uh, adhere to what he said. And I was told when I was um, a young adult how I missed a lot. Frankly, I guess I didn't miss it, but I did not have to um, listen to him come down on my sister because I was away in a school for the blind, and therefore I didn't hear all the things he would say to her. Of course I did, you know, during the holidays, and it seemed like Christmas, um, and especially Father's Day, the day that you would celebrate your father, but he was always in a bad mood around those times of the year. 
And I never knew why. And when he was in a bad mood, he stayed in a bad mood. And I don't mean for just a day. I mean for maybe weeks on end. And I felt like um, I felt like I've walked on pins and needles. In fact, I went to a, a nearby college for a while, you know, near my parents' home. And even people noticed that around me. They said, she walks on pins and needles when she's at home. Yeah, that's a very, very difficult environment to grow up in. It and, was. Uh, yeah, and, and a high level of stress, you know, on your body when you constantly have to be on your top alert because what's going to happen next or what's, what right. is he going to say next, yeah. That's very, very Sometimes difficult. the school for the blind was a haven, you know, and that's strange to say, but sometimes it was. Well, I can imagine that it would be because it would take you at least away from that type of, right. you know, constantly and, being on guard. And my older sister in the last years of her life, you know, we would talk and, you know, she would remind me of some of these things that I guess I'd either I just put out of my mind or I just wasn't there to experience because I was in a school for the blind and of course she wasn't blind so she was at home and we had two other we have two other siblings and she would sometimes say it seems like there were two families there was us and there was them meaning her and me and then uh, my younger two siblings and it seemed like my brother was of course he was doted on because he was the only male and then I had an, I have another sister, and she's youngest, the youngest. So, you know, I guess, you know, she was kind of more special. And that was my mother that kind of, stu- you know, stuck her neck out for me more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that can be a real difficult way to grow up. It was. And unfortunately, there was probably something, you know, that had happened in his life, especially since his mood changes seemed to happen around Father's Day and Christmas. And that made it difficult for him. He didn't deal with that. And so that was how he expressed his anger and resentment. Whatever happened that you all had nothing to do with. Because, you know, people would talk about their Christmas as, you know, Christmas night being like their their family game night. You know, after after the meal was eaten and all the presents were exchanged. And, and we, you know, and they would talk about things like um, um, playing board games and stuff. And my sister kind of tried to do that a little after she was on her own. And she would bring a board game over and we'd all play after after the um, dinner was over. But that was um, for a while there. Well, that, yeah. I'm glad that you and your sister could talk about those things. Yeah, we did. That was probably helpful to her. It, I think it was. Yeah. And I sure miss her presence, believe me. Yeah, I'm sure that's hard. How long ago did she did she pass? Um, November of 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, because, like- you know, she was probably the only one that we shared the same, the same memories. Mm-hmm. Sometimes my brother, but my other sister was eight years younger than me, so a lot of things. Um, that I remember, she doesn't. Right. And you want to say something? Okay. It is 5.56, and we have one hand raised. Okay. Karen, go ahead and unmute. Hi, Jesse. Um, I don't know if this actually pertains, but um, I have an issue, actually, I'm dealing with now. I'm a chair of a committee, and um, the chair of another committee... um, kind of did something that she should have really explained to my committee, but she didn't. So it made our work more difficult. Um, So I wrote to her one-on-one and I said, you know, you do a lot of great work and it would have been helpful if you told us about this thing you did. So she writes back um, and, and she got, you know, she got kind of nasty about it. So what I did was I, um, when I wrote to her again, I copied my co-chair and I copied the president of the organization because I felt that my point of view was correct. 
And she got very, um, she got even worse. She said, why didn't you just talk to me about it, whatever? And and I had, so was it wrong for me to expand um, the conversation with other people? Or I think she she's kind of a bully, so I'm kind of wondering about that. You know, that's one of those difficult situations. It's so difficult to resolve conflicts through email for the first thing. Um, so, but a, but a lot of our interactions with, with each other is through email, especially, you know, at work and in organizations and that type of thing. And the second thing is then you're in this, this situation of if you don't say anything to other committee or the president, you know, they can become upset with you for withholding information or not sharing and that type of thing. So, yeah, it, it's a very difficult situation. And you know what? You, the only thing you can do is what you think is the best thing at the time with, with what you're dealing with. There would be no right or wrong thing. It, it's all very dependent on what the whole issue is and, you know, how your committees work. Um, how your organization worked. Did that make what, sense? what happened was my co-chair, who was a man, um, an older man, wrote to her, and um, she responded to him with the information we needed. You know, uh-huh. I don't know. You know, if she has a thing with me, or I don't. I don't know where she deals better with men. I. I, I kind of don't know. But, well, it could be that she deals better with men, or it could be that she had an opportunity to think about all the things that you had said and then calm down. <laughs> you know, it's just real hard to tell. Right. I but appreciate I, you being here for us. Thank you. You're welcome. And I hope that issue, you know, gets resolved. I'm going into a meeting now, so we'll find out what happens. Good luck. And- <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And it is 6 p.m. All right. Well, we will be back next week with another topic. And uh, as always, if you have any topics at all that you would like or uh, any anything, um, just let me know. I'm on Facebook or uh, send a message to the community and Cindy will forward it. So thank you all. <laughs>